Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this series and thank you for what you're doing in your church and in the body of Christ with regards to prayer. Lord, may you speak to us by your spirit. May you impart and activate something so precious to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm so grateful. God has just taken us through a powerful time of prayer and fasting and um, he's just moving us to the next level. And I'm just realizing the power of prayer. But you know, for these things to be activated in our lives, it's often through knowledge. It's often through experiential knowledge. It's often through deep understanding of the things of God. And so join me today as I share with you, continuing with this series, The Praying Church, I want to speak to you about how to pray for extended hours, how to pray for extended hours. And I'm going to do this message in a couple of um, slots. So not just this Sunday, but also next week, Sunday. And we'll just see how it goes. How to pray for extended hours. I'm going to begin my message with a quote from Samuel Rutherford. He was a Scottish pastor in the 1600s. He said this, I urge upon you communion with Christ, a growing communion. There are curtains to be drawn aside in Christ that we never saw and new foldings of love in him. I despair that I shall ever win to the far end of that love. There are so many plies in it. Therefore, dig deep and sweat and labor and take pains for him and set by as much time in the day for him as you can. We will be one in the labor. You see, it's the desire for many believers to grow in their prayer life. And this is often seen in the duration of their time spent with God. Some people will say that it is not about quantity, but it is about quality. The reality is that the quality of a relationship often increases, doesn't it? When the quantity of time spent with that person increases. Just think about it. So quality and quantity, therefore, are not mutually exclusive. I find it interesting that in our intimate relationships, we value time spent with someone, don't we? And we see it as a positive. But often when it comes to time spent with God, people are hesitant about measuring it. Have you noticed that? It's easy to understand why one spouse will be upset with you if um, you say, I'm going to take you to the Maldives for holiday. But then after a while, you say to them, uh, it's just going to be for 30 minutes. You see, they understand that such brevity will affect the quality of the holiday. And that's why often when we talk about holidays, we say it was really great. We went to New York and this time it was for two whole weeks so we could see everything. The quantity, the duration of time is affecting the quality of your time. The two are not mutually exclusive. It's important to understand that. So I believe we can apply these principles to our prayer lives, can't we? Not all rules are bad. Sometimes we've got this thing when someone talks about a rule or let's measure this, let's measure that. We think, oh, that's terrible. But think about it. If a couple says, we have date night every week, you're impressed with them, aren't you? Right? Now that's actually a rule, but it's an empowering rule. It's not a debilitating rule because they understand that if we don't create this as a guardrail, we'll never go out together because there's always something else that gets in the way. 
So why is it that when we start talking about our relationship with God, the moment someone starts putting some kind of structure to it, people are like, no, 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 no structure. I think very often people don't want to be tied down to a structure. When it comes to the Lord, I love Matthew chapter 26, verse 40. It says, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. So it's when Jesus had been praying in the garden of Gethsemane. And he says, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. That's a very powerful statement. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? This statement from Jesus shows me that he was conscious of a time period spent in prayer and he was surprised that the disciples could not last for that time period. It was almost like for him, this is like a minimum. This is like a basic amount. And he's like, couldn't you guys watch? Couldn't you guys watch with me? This statement also shows me that Jesus confronted them about it. Therefore, in this message, I'll also challenge you with regards to the time you spend in prayer, the amount of time you spend in prayer. And then I'll give you some practices that will take your prayer life to another level. The first thing I want to highlight, first practice, is face yourself. If you want to spend more time with God in prayer, the starting point is always self-assessment. Conduct an audit of your prayer life and be honest with yourself. Self-assessment is always a starting point for change to occur. What's the current reality of your prayer life? Have you made judgments about other people's prayer lives, not realizing that you need abundant grace in this particular area? Maybe the grace is lifted in this aspect of your life because of the judgments you've made about other people's prayers. I want to ask you some questions. What type of Christian do you want to be? Do you have a vision for your prayer life? God's grace in this area is so abundant right now. We're experiencing it, but we need to come to him in brokenness. We need to come to him in weakness. His strength is perfected in weakness. As the Lord convicts you by his spirit, make sure you repent and turn away from prayerlessness. I believe one of the reasons a lot of people don't become prayerful is they never repent of their prayerlessness. They're in denial concerning it. In Revelation 2, 4 to 5, it says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. And this, this is the message to the church in Ephesus. Verse 5. Consider how far you have fallen. In other words, self-assessment. And then repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. These verses show me a number of things. These verses show me that there are certain actions and deeds associated with the first love. Repent and then do the deeds you did at first. When was at first? When you loved me with that first love. And I believe one of those deeds is prayer. Have you noticed that the moment someone's love cools down, their love for the Lord cools down, one of the first things to be tossed out of their relationship with God is their prayer life. True repentance results in you doing those deeds. So repent and do those deeds you did at first. I also see here that Jesus can have things against New Testament believers. Sometimes we've got this mindset of Jesus has nothing against you because you're in the New Testament. No, 
No. This is the church at Ephesus, a great church. He's just affirmed them for various things, their perseverance, all sorts of things. But then he says, but this I have against you. You've forsaken your first love. He challenges them concerning first love. Could it be that where you are in God right now, you are binding yourself because of the halo effect? You know the halo effect when you interview people for jobs? They've got a nice accent, so you think everything else is nice about them, right? Um, they've got one nice quality, and that becomes that halo over them. And um, we end up having this blind spot when it comes to some of their other qualities that are not that great. And could it be that the way you've assessed your spirituality is, has been based on maybe you're a great giver, maybe you're a great teacher of the word, maybe you're great in evangelism, but you've never come to a place of realizing the prayerlessness in your own life. I want to encourage you to develop a problem statement. This is all to do with facing yourself. Develop a problem statement. You see, when you have accurate diagnosis, often it produces accurate solutions, doesn't it? So problem statement examples. I only pray in corporate prayer meetings. I don't pray individually. Okay. Another problem statement, my prayer life is inconsistent. Sometimes I pray, but I can go for weeks without praying. I'm too shy to pray. I've been too critical of other people's prayers, and now I struggle to pray. What's your issue? I only pray when I'm in trouble. I try to pray perfect prayers. I find it hard to tell people to stop disturbing me when I'm praying. Maybe that's the thing that's become a hindrance to your prayer life. Let's also have a sober view of our spirituality. You know, some people are so impressed with themselves when they start praying for an hour a day. And they're like, I'm very prayerful because I pray for an hour a day. But it's not that impressive. You know, um, it's only 1 24th of the day. There are 24 hours in a day. and That's just one hour. Right. Sometimes we have to look at it that way. So let's have a sober view of our spirituality, okay? It's important to identify the barriers to your growth in prayer and then to create steps to overcome these barriers. That's one of the things in the science of success, to become successful as a person in any area of life. Identify what those barriers are and then create steps to overcome those particular barriers. And this sermon is largely to do with these steps. But that first step is so important Face yourself. Where am I at really in my prayer life? Am I conceited about it where I think I'm praying much more than I actually am? Am I judgmental? Where am I really at in my prayer life? The second thing I want to highlight in terms of being able to extend your time of prayer, and I'm specifically focused uh, this Sunday and next Sunday on the duration of our prayer, praying for longer hours. I want to focus on this. This is my second point. Be absolutely persuaded that prayer makes a difference. One of the reasons we don't pray is we don't actually believe it will make a difference. Just think about it. People do things because they think it works. I don't want to waste my time doing something if I don't think it will work. So we realize that our problem very often isn't a prayer problem. Often our problem is a belief problem. And the Lord literally spoke to me recently and said that and it really it really hit me you know paul 
The problem is not prayer. The problem is belief. You see, I like what was stated by Watchman Nee. Our prayers lay the track down on which God's power can come. Like a mighty locomotive, his power is irresistible. But it cannot reach us without rails. It cannot reach us without rails. And so prayer becomes that railway track for the power of God to be imparted, the power of God to ignite the nations. If you believe that your prayers will not make a difference, you won't spend time in prayer. You won't spend time in prayer. Prayers tend to be fervent and heartfelt when we truly believe that God hears us and will actually respond. The reason most of us don't pray for outer Mongolia or Yemen is because we don't really believe that our little prayers will make a difference. You can see faith in people when they say, hey, you know what, yeah, today we're going to pray for, and then they'll pray for some country that's very far away. You're like, okay, clearly they believe it will make a difference. In James 4 verses 2 to 3, it says, you desire, but you do not have. So you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You know, these verses from the book of James show me a few things. They show me that when we pray and this whole concept of prayer, it's so key in getting things in life, right? You have not because you ask not. But I also need to learn how to ask God. Because it says, when you do ask, you're asking with the wrong motives. So I can't ask anyhow. This is why I keep saying in this series, how your prayer is packaged is crucial. This is how God has designed the world. He wants to use us to birth things through our prayers. Prayer or the lack thereof will make a difference to the destiny of nations. If you look at Amos 3 verse 7, it says, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. So technically speaking, we shouldn't be too surprised when certain things happen. That's why very often things happen in the nations and there's some prophet or someone who will say, yes, God had already shown me that. All right. Now it's important, of course, what the prophets do with what they know. Because very often God shows them as a warning so that intercessors, watchmen can pray so that that thing doesn't happen. In Ezekiel 22, verses 29 through to 31, I want to show you that prayer or the lack thereof will make a difference to the destiny of nations. Look at this. The people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and have exploited the foreign resident without justice. I searched for a man among them to repair the war and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, so that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Isn't that sad? But I found no one. Verse 31. So I've poured out my indignation upon them and consumed them with the fire of my fury. There are consequences, ladies and gentlemen, to not praying. The lack of prayer makes a difference to the destiny of nations. They're nations that can be consumed with the fire of the wrath of God 
because of prayerlessness. Ah, oh, Paul, but we're now in the New Testament. Please don't keep saying that to me. Please don't keep saying that to me. Read your Bible. Hebrews chapter 12. Read it. It says, our God is indeed a consuming fire. It says, so let us worship him with reverence and awe. For our God is indeed a consuming fire. Quoting a passage from Deuteronomy. But the book of Hebrews is the new covenant, is the new testament. So we still need intercessors today. It's so important to understand this. The third thing we can do if we want to grow in our prayer lives, specifically in terms of being able to pray for extended hours for people and for situations, grow in your love for people. Grow in your love for people. I will not pray for extended periods for you if I don't really care about you. I'll just say, oh, Lord, bless that family. Okay. There'll be no depth to my prayer and will be over in two minutes. You see, compassion causes us to do things we would not ordinarily do. And many of us have been hardened by life. Many of us are just trying to cope, just trying to survive. And unfortunately, this often makes us very self-absorbed, where we've only got enough energy to pray for our families and the people we care about. But we don't have compassion beyond us for and no more, right? We don't have time to dedicate hours to praying for people. I want you to know, those of you in Go Christian Church, you are worth my time. You are worth my time. You are worth me getting up early. You are worth me giving up that TV show. You are worth me doing those particular things. Why? Because I know that my prayers matter. I know that my prayers make a difference. We have to come to a place in our lives, ladies and gentlemen, where we realize that people are worth it because God loves those people and he gives us a love for them. The little time we have is given to our own issues so often because we don't have that compassion for people. We can teach you about prayer. We can give you books on prayer, but you'll never pray for people for extended periods if you don't truly have compassion for them. Romans 5 verse 5 says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So because we have the Spirit of God in us, we've also got the love of God. We've, we often forget that the Holy Spirit is a spirit of love. Galatians 5 verse 6 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Those were my last, those were my last two points, weren't they? We need to believe that our prayers make a difference. That speaks of faith, speaks of belief, okay? And we need to love people because all that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Crucial. The fourth thing we need to do if we want to grow in prayer, particularly being able to pray for extended hours, is this. Understand that time spent with God is initially a discipline. So important. It's initially a discipline and people don't like discipline because discipline is hard. Discipline means you're putting your flesh under, isn't it? In order to grow in a discipline, you need to measure it. So I know that some people are against the whole thing of timing yourself in terms of prayer. They kind of feel like, oh, that's not very personal. That's not very relational. But you know what? 
If you're not going to measure something, you deceive yourself. I need to measure the time that I spend in prayer because I can pray a very strong prayer, but it's very brief and I can get out of my prayer closet thinking I'm very spiritual. That was a powerful time of prayer and I can deceive myself, delude myself that I'm spending lots of time with the Lord. It's important to measure how long we're actually praying for. It's useful. And when you're building a discipline, you need to be measuring it. You don't get what you can't measure. And we do this in all of life. But it's so interesting that when it comes to prayer, all of a sudden we don't want to. And I think sometimes for some people at a subconscious level, they're scared of what it will reveal. You see, your flesh does not naturally like to pray, right? There are other things your flesh prefers to do. And that's why if you look at Matthew 26, verse 40 to 41, I'm reading from the Berean Study Bible. Then Jesus returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Were you not able to keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Now watch what he says in verse 41. Watch and pray so that you will not enter into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Some translations say the flesh is weak. Isn't it interesting? After Jesus challenged the disciples with regards to prayer, he then reveals why it was difficult for them. See, our intentions are good, but our physical body doesn't always follow what our spirit wants. And that's why prayer and building a strong prayer life is a discipline before it's a delight. Discipline is following through with what you have predecided is best for you to do despite your emotional state at the time. Powerful. After exercising this discipline for some time, it becomes a habit. And then from there, it turns into a delight. A few years ago, I made a decision to pray for a certain time each day, certain time period. And this is important to pre-decide what your goal is. You can't talk about discipline without talking about goals because you're disciplined in a particular direction. It's not aimless discipline. I like what Paul J. Mayer said about success. He said, success is the progressive realization of predetermined worthwhile personal goals. Success in prayer involves coming to a place of predetermining how long you're gonna pray for and how you're going to pray and the type of prayer warrior you want to become. You can't talk about success without talking about goals. By God's grace, I managed to keep that commitment that I had in terms of my daily prayer, the duration of it. I managed to do that for three years without fail, whether it was a public holiday, a Sunday, whatever the situation was, a busy day, I managed to do it by God's grace. Now, he didn't allow me to talk at that time about the time period and the duration of my uh, times of prayer. Um, and in prior years, I hadn't always kept my commitment. Sometimes it really felt like a discipline. I didn't always know what to pray about. And sometimes it meant praying at odd hours after having done certain chores. And after a number of weeks of doing that, I'll just be like, Okay, let me just relax a little bit. But then God began to help me. And it was interesting because during that three-year period of consistent daily extended time in prayer, 
um, it wasn't always easy. And I would often feel relieved that, okay, I've done my quota of prayer for the day and I can now carry on with other things. Sometimes it felt like that. But you know that all the while I was building my prayer muscle. I was building my prayer muscle. And more recently, I've increased this time period. And yet I find that the grace to pray has also increased. On most days, I end up exceeding the stipulated amount of prayer that I have as a goal. And I find it interesting because God then gives me more space to pray throughout the day. And I now find it a delight. And I'll share with you next week more detail in terms of the actual prayer, prayer times and so on. We'll go into it. But I just want to show you that for me, it's been a discipline over the years. When you understand that prayer is initially a discipline, you see the importance of building your prayer muscle, building your staying power to be able to pray for longer periods. I remember in about 2000 and 2001, spending time doing personal prayer crusades. And this is where you spend a week in prayer, increasing the time period each day. So you might pray for one hour on the first day, then slightly more on the second, uh, slightly more on day three, okay? And this is such a powerful reminder that growth in prayer is incremental. You know, sometimes we hear of this person praying for so many hours and we wanna be like them because we feel like something is missing in our lives and then we get discouraged after trying it for a couple of days, okay? So growth is incremental. It's important. We have to run our own race. Run your own race. We're all in different places in our prayer lives. Our starting point is not the same. Some of you grew up in families where there was so much prayer, so it's so natural. Some of you grew up in a prayerless home and you're starting from the, from the get-go, right? From the beginning to build up your prayer muscles. Many people feel inspired and then they try to do these quantum leaps and then they crumble. It's not sustainable. I know from distance running that there is what they call the 10% rule. And it states you should never increase your weekly mileage of running by more than 10% over the previous week. And of course, this protects you from injuries. But I believe that sometimes we need to be protected from spiritual injuries because we're becoming competitive with that person or we're getting into the flesh. No, don't put that type of pressure on you. Just run your own race and do what there's grace available to do. But make sure you're growing in this area of prayer, which starts off very often as a discipline. I encourage you to also listen to my message on the power of habits and apply it to creating a habit of extended time in prayer. And you can get our messages on YouTube. You can get them on our website, www.gochurch.co.za. Be willing to adjust your lifestyle to make room for prayer. That's a discipline, isn't it? You know, when you live a life of prayer, when prayer is no longer just this thing in the corner of your life, it means you can't spend as much time doing certain things. You know, people don't understand this, I find, that we've only got 24 hours in a day. So you can't be trying to up your prayer life, but still doing every single thing you used to do, right? That time has to come from somewhere, right? I might not be able to watch every single football game that I want to watch because of the amount of time I want to spend each day in prayer. So the question is, are you willing to change? Are you willing to become an early riser, for example? If we're saying, give God your best time, or are you that kind of person who say like, no, for me, uh -uh, I'm not a morning person. I'm just not a morning person. I know people who used to say that a lot until they started having babies. 
And immediately they became this person who was waking up at 3 a.m. to breastfeed, right? So this thing of labeling ourselves as, I'm not a morning person. I'm not this. I'm not this. Maybe you've got a limited view of yourself. Are you willing to adjust your lifestyle, your TV watching, your oversleeping, right? In this day and age of self-absorption, we need to address these issues. The fifth thing I want to highlight that will help you to extend your times of prayer is understand that extended times of prayer are normal in scripture. They're very normal. Don't see it as a strange thing for these extreme Christians, right? Oh, these people, this person prays for two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours each day. Oh, that's very extreme. Don't you have a life, right? You see, sometimes we don't extend our times of prayer because we think it's extreme. We think it's weird. In Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through to 13, it says, In those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated as apostles. I find it so interesting because there are certain life situations that require extended periods of prayer. Here's Jesus having a personal all-night prayer, right? Before making a decision to designate his disciples as apostles. Many of us are hiring people or partnering with other people in business with very little prayer. And then we realize that this person I've now partnered with, oh, they come packaged with other things. You know what I'm talking about, right? Because you didn't spend time praying about it. Jesus had a personal all-night prayer. And the disciples were observing this. And we know that they ended up copying him. They ended up copying him. They ended up doing the type of things Jesus would do. In Luke chapter 2, verse 36 to 37, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Now that's another level. She worshiped night and day. 24 hours a day, she's just worshiping, worshiping. I'm sure she had time to sleep but she would fast, pray. For her, it was like, this is my life. My life is completely devoted to praying. So we see in scripture examples of extended periods of prayer. And it's important for us not to just say, oh, Jesus, I want this aspect of you, but oh, this prayer stuff. Ah, You know, sometimes we think that Jesus did what he did on earth because he was the son of God. But you know that Jesus was modeling to us what someone who's anointed fully by the Holy Spirit can do the things that are possible that's why he said these things that i'm doing because you will now have the holy spirit you will do greater things right you'll do greater things right i believe that we need to come to a place where we understand that jesus did certain things or said certain things as the son of god but in terms of the miracles he performed the power he functioned in he was doing it as a human being under the anointing and that's why even as the son of God, he needed to spend time with his father in prayer. And he saw the works that the father was doing. And he says, I only do what I see my father doing. I believe that God is taking us to that place where we have that understanding. The sixth thing I want to share with you today is be inspired by the extended times of prayer in church history. I love 
having a look at biographies, listening to them or reading them. Because that's where we realize that oh, there were other people who were just next level when it came to some of these things. And uh, I've adapted a couple of um, accounts shared by Jared Brock with regards to um, a couple of greats from the past. There was a guy called Nicholas Zizendov, Zinzendov, and uh, he was a count. Um, and it's interesting, the good count Ludwig in the 1700s in North Carolina in the United States, okay, he opened his vast estate to a group of Moravian refugees and allowed them to start a village on his German property. The village was called Hernhut, okay, meaning the Lord's Watch. Before long, they started fighting about theology and it got so bad that Zinzendorf made them sign a vow of unity and commitment to prayer. One thing led to another and that prayer meeting ran 24 hours per day. Imagine that, seven days per week for over 100 years straight, okay? And this guy, Jared, says how he's uh, visited Hernhut and many people have, and um, the tiny town that uh, fueled this massive missions movement, okay, Hernhut, uh, it was so inspiring to see what a small group of people can do when fully devoted to God. I love a quote by Zinzendorf that sums up his life. Preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. Powerful, powerful. And there are many accounts and you can look them up um, that talk about that area where the Moravian Falls are. And they talk about how, you know, people will sort of see angels there. It's just a powerful place to pray, almost like a portal, a bit like Jacob's Ladder type of thing. But that's the power of prayer when people get together and there's ongoing prayer, ongoing prayer and watching. There's something that happens in extended times of consistent praying. There's also an, expert, an excerpt I want to share with you from Ian e. Bounds uh, on David Brennard. David Brennard, uh, some people aren't familiar with him. He was a missionary to the Native American Indians. Uh, he was actually related to Jonathan Edwards. Um, and it's interesting because Jonathan Edwards actually writes certain biographical things uh, to do with David Brennard. I think he was actually uh, Jonathan Edwards' son-in-law. No sublimer story has been recorded in earthly annals than that of David Brennard. No miracle attests with diviner force the truth of Christianity than the life and work of such a man. Alone in the savage wilds of America, struggling day and night with a mortal disease, unschooled in the care of souls, having access to the Indians for a large portion of time only through the bungling medium of a pagan interpreter, with the word of God in his heart and in his hand, his soul fired with the divine flame, a place and time to pour out his soul to God in prayer. He fully established the worship of God and secured all its gracious results. The Indians were changed with a great change from the lowest bestowments of an ignorant and debased heathenism to pure, devout, intelligent Christians, all vice reformed, the external duties of Christianity at once embraced and acted on, family prayer set up, the Sabbath instituted and religiously observed, 
the internal graces of religion exhibited with growing sweetness and strength. The solution of these results is found in David Brennard himself, not in the conditions or accidents, but in the man Brennard. He was God's man, for God first and last and all the time. God could flow unhindered through him. Brainerd lived the life of holiness and prayer. His diary is full and monotonous with the record of his seasons of fasting, meditation, and retirement. The time he spent in private prayer amounted to many hours daily. When I return home, he said, and give myself to meditation, prayer, and fasting, my soul longs for mortification, self-denial, humility, and divorcement from all things of the world. I have nothing to do, he said, with earth, but only to labor in it honestly for God. I do not desire to live one minute for anything which earth can afford. After this high order, he, did he pray, feeling somewhat of the sweetness of communion with God and the constraining force of his love and how admirably it captivates the soul and makes all the desires and affections to center in God. I set apart this day for secret fasting and prayer to entreat God to direct and bless me with regard to the great work which I have in view of preaching the gospel and that the Lord would return to me and show me the light of his countenance. I had little life and power in the, in the forenoon. Near the middle of the afternoon, God enabled me to wrestle ardently in intercession for my absent friends. But just at night, the Lord visited me marvelously in prayer. I think my soul was never in such agony before. I felt no restraint for the treasure. The treasures of divine grace were opened to me. I wrestled for absent friends, for the ingathering of souls, for multitudes of poor souls, and for many that I thought were the children of God personally in many distant places. I was in such agony from sun half an hour high till near dark that I was all over wet with sweat, but yet it seemed to me I had done nothing. Oh, my dear Savior, did sweat blood for poor souls. I longed for more compassion toward them. I felt still in a sweet frame under a sense of divine love and grace and went to bed in such a frame with my heart set on God. It was prayer which gave to his life and ministry their marvelous power. Isn't that awesome? May we live lives that are completely devoted to prayer. And may we see the fruit in our lives, the fruit of our labor in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask for your help. We ask for the grace to pray for extended periods. We ask for the grace to grow in our prayer lives. We ask for the love that we need, the compassion we need, Lord, for the people of God and the other people that we stand in the gap for. Father, may you come and give us this grace for supplication, this grace to be watchmen in this hour. Father, help us on this journey. Help us even this week as this dimension of prayer is activated in our hearts and in our lives. 
Come and do it, Lord God, and come and meet us where we are at. In Jesus' name I pray. May you be inspired. We'll continue next week talking about more keys to help us to go to our next level of extended periods of prayer. God bless you.